Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. My name is Fred, and I am the podcast host. We are in the middle of our time off, our couple weeks off, and then we are visiting the good news of the gospel. That's what we've been talking about last episode and this. We will continue that, but I would like to let you know the sound may be a little bit different. I've got some odd things going on, but I did want to go ahead and get this episode out while we work on the odd things that are going on. So you may hear some sounds that you're not used to hearing, and I will try my best to dig those out. As I said, we are in the middle of two weeks off, and the website is coming together. In fact, you should be able to go to the website and go to the first blog page that will be titled the same, Salvation, the Good News. And you can see my world-famous spiritual growth chart that will illustrate some of the things that we talk about today. And I do appreciate you listening and giving me a chance to have some time off and do some work on some other things. Today, we are going to look at the good news. We're going to review a little bit the bad news to just reinforce that we really do need the good news. Now, one of the television shows that I like to watch features a machine which has two distinct attribute, you might say. The first is it has a personality, and the second is it's way bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Some of you may know what I'm talking about there. And one of the running gags on the show for the whole time it's been on, which has been a very long time, is when people go into the machine, they realize it's bigger on the inside. At one point in one of the episodes, the personality of the machine gets put into a human being. One of the things that the personality says is, how can they be so much bigger on the inside? And of course, it's a play on the 60-year joke, but it's also a commentary on human beings. We are bigger on the inside, and we know personally that we are capable of noble and positive emotions, thoughts, and actions. We also know that we are capable of immensely evil, negative emotions, thoughts, and actions. And we see those in our own lives, and we see those possibilities and and the displaying of evil and good in our fellow men, so we know that that is a universal truth of the human condition, which the Bible calls the depravity of man or the sinfulness of man. Now, if you would like to go to the website and see my world-famous spiritual growth chart. You're going to see this in graphic form. What you're going to see is at the bottom of that chart, the bottom left, that people are grow, that people are born into, all of us are born into a life that focuses on the physical and is self-centered. And that self-centeredness and physical perspective is at the very center of everything we do, every emotion, thought, and action. And it's that physical, selfish aspect of our lives in our natural state that betray our evil, betray our depravity. And every time we make a decision, one way or another, whatever we decide, the center of that decision is the physical, what we can feel, taste, and touch right here, or sense, and the selfish. We steal from one another. The Bible says that man does not live by bread alone, but we steal from one another, taking food from other people for our own selfish physical needs. 
And everything we do then, we know, centers on what we can touch, like I've already said, and selfish. So we do act sometimes better than others, maybe most of the time better than others. But we do that for selfish physical reasons. And we might think of this anytime we make a decision, no matter how it turns out or what our intent to begin with is. I want to illustrate it like this. When my son Freddie was a boy, he did childish things. They all did. And at church or anywhere else that he was there with a group of children, whatever was going on, Freddie was at the center of it. When you would wind down, if they were running around laughing, playing, doing childish things, having childish fun, when you separated the group out, my son either was the instigator or he was the element that kept that those shenanigans, you might say, going. He just was. That's kind of his personality. But for me, it it illustrates for us, when we make a decision, when we do something, if we were to separate out all the motivations and the reasons that we do them, at the center of that is going to be our depraved nature, which is physical and selfish. Psalm 51 says we're born in sin, actually conceived in sin, And it's that deadness of our character which make us feel guilty. And we feel guilty because we are guilty in our emotions, thoughts, and actions. We know our evil deeds, and that makes us afraid of death. And again, every one of our motivations surrounds our pride, our selfishness, and our physical needs. We take advantage of one another. We steal from one another. We hurt one another both physically and emotionally, because we are protecting ourselves, our sinful selves. And when you think about that, think about the fact that you know on the inside who you are, both of those things at times, but what you present to the world is only the good and noble stuff or what you try to present to the world. And from our guilt then, we set up religions or philosophies, rules, that we want to follow and expect others to follow to make up for the fact that we do bad things, we do evil things. And the Bible says that that doesn't work, that depravity, we cannot pay enough or do enough to overcome our evil deeds. And in fact, we talked about that a little bit last week, actually, a lot last week, I think. (laughs) But Psalm 30, David says, If thou, O Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, who could stand? And the answer is nobody. We know that intuitively. Again, that's why we fear death. Psalm 49, 7 through 8 says, No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of his soul is costly, and he should cease trying forever. So once again, we know we can't redeem ourselves, and no one else can redeem us before God, no other human being can redeem us before God. It costs too much. We've hurt too many people and we've done too many sinful things. Remember last week we did talk, I know this, we did talk about Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's sin. And if you'd like, you can read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew and you can see biblically that even our thoughts make us guilty. We may not do some sins, but we still have the guilt of those things, because we have thought about them. And we see that we may not have murdered 
anyone, but we do have hatred for some people. All of us do. We can't deny those things. The Bible also says in Romans that the wages of sin is death. And Jesus says that the death, the second death, hell, we commonly call it, is going to be where the worm and the fire never dies. There, once again, is the bad news. You can listen to next week, or last week's as well, if you want to hear about that again, or if you didn't hear about that, the bad news, not only the bad news, but hell and what it means, basically being away from the goodness of God forever. But the good news is the heart of the Christian message, the gospel, literally good news, means that Jesus came in the flesh, lived with none of those sins, and then died, crucified, for our sins and our sins together, and paid for those sins. Again, Romans 6.23, the good news, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, for those of you that are listening that don't know Christ as your Savior, that don't have salvation in Him, you may be asking how I obtained this gift. So that's a good question and a natural question. Romans 10.8, but what does the Bible say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart the man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. So belief in and ascension to who Jesus is And what he has done for you, that's how you get that salvation. And that's a gift of God as well, it says in Ephesians also. But you need to know about it before you can believe it. And so if you have not come to that place where you believe in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, keep on seeking like I encouraged you last week. Keep on seeking biblical counsel, biblical people, to hear the full gospel. We've only been able to do a short period right now. And since that's not the focus of this podcast, we'll, we'll just move on. We need to move on from there with the realization that there is good news, there is a Savior, and you don't have to fear death. Now, we talked also last week in Matthew 11, at the end of the chapter there, that there is a call to those who are saved, and it's unsaved, and it's a call to you. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, And then again, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Those are just the very basics in salvation and what it is to move from life to death. But if you're a brother and sister in Christ listening to this podcast, and it is about prayer, and it is about a conviction to pray for salvation, we need to remind ourselves that the gospel is not a message that says, come join our club. Be like us cool kids. Do the stuff we do. And it's not. Teach us seven different ways to make our lives better and to do better in life and to have less conflict and have more people like us. It's not a weight loss program, the gospel. And it's not come to my church and do these religious things to earn your way to heaven. The center of the message of the gospel is whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then for us, for Christians, as we are praying, I believe it's Romans 10, how then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? 
And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings and good things. That's the center of our prayer for the church and for the gospel. That we pray for preachers and missionaries who might call out to the world and preach that good news. Even Jesus says in Matthew 9:36, And to seeing the multitude, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. That's only in, that's in Matthew 9 as well. It's also in Luke 10 and in John 4. The same thought. And it, it occurred to me way back when I wrote the Prayer Warriors Journal that that's one prayer request that I had not been praying. Jesus asks to pray for the spread of the gospel and the harvesters, and I had not been praying that. And then I thought of this as well. We find clear in Pauline fashion, the way Paul would write this, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, he's talking about the resurrection, and he says, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men to be most pitied. And what that means is, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, our belief is a waste of time. And we are sacrificing for a truth that is not true. But of course, we know it's true. If you want to read that chapter, you can also read the evidences of Jesus' resurrection, the people who saw him there and testified of that. But to me, I think we can turn that around as Christians as well, because one of the most common, noble attributes we have as human beings is that of empathy. We feel bad for one another. We feel sorry for one another. Because it is a com- we have we share this common life and the troubles in it. And so when we look around and we see atheists and haters and people who don't believe in God and people who hate God from their own lips, our response shouldn't be anger and arguing with them. Our response should begin with to be pity. They're in real trouble, eternal trouble. And that should motivate us to pray as well. Later in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for calling us to be part of the spread of the gospel. I do pray you would take my weakness in communication, my lack of clarity as I speak of the sinfulness of man, Lord Jesus, but the glorious part of your redemption. Take those little nuggets and make them into meals for people. If they need salvation, Lord Jesus, to keep on searching for you, because we know you can be found, and we know you're talking to them. If they are looking, you are drawing them to you. So we would pray that you would draw them utterly to you for the glory of your name. We would pray more than that, that you would move us, sweet Jesus, with compassion, with pity, Lord, with love, with whatever it takes to move our hearts, minds, and souls to be spending some of our time praying for the salvation of others 
and praying for workers in the harvest. Again, thank you, Jesus, that your word does not come back void. And even though this lowly slave isn't the most articulate, your word is true, and our passions as your sons should be directed to those who need you in salvation, especially in our prayers. Thank you for moving in our prayers. Thank you for accepting our worship, Lord Jesus. Thank you for knowing we will have an eternal impact as we pray to you, the Holy God of the universe, for the salvation of others. Not only help us to pray, Lord Jesus, but help us to pray for salvation to the ends of the earth. We commit this time and we commit our hearts to you. Teach us to pray. Teach us to have your compassion. And we pray it in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, through the power of Jesus Christ and his blood shed on our behalf. Amen.